Why, hello, podcast listener. Come on in, sit down. We should get to know one another. And what better way to do that than with this soothing piano music, which I am playing. Yes, this is not music from a production library. No, that would get me sued. And that I'm leaving to Gerson Rosas and the Minnesota Timberwolves. No, this is me opening up to all of you creatively so that you and I will forge an unbreakable bond and you won't leave, which almost certainly will lead to me getting fired or having this podcast canceled. So, sit down and stay a while. For Broken Jumper, we'll hit on all of this week's news, including David Griffin, Zion Williamson, Gerson Rosas, having sex with the help, getting himself fired. Not the help. That sounds racist. That's probably not a good way. Two weeks in a row. First, I exclude figures. Then I call some lady that works for the Timberwolves the help. Terrible. I'm retracting all that. I'd rewind it, but I'd have to put in an abrupt rewind sound effect like this. That doesn't go well with my soothing piano music. So anyway, coming up on today's show, Kevin Figures will be joining me. The second half of the FNA podcast, the half that I excluded from my inaugural edition last week. Last week's episode, you can go back and check it out. You can subscribe to the podcast. It's on all the major platforms. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Broken Jumper. On Instagram, at Broken Jumper Pod. On Twitter, I'll probably change it to mirror the names. But that's neither here nor there. What's important is that this music is lulling you into a sense of security. One that makes you feel like you don't want to leave. When you don't draw iron, Simmons, an open three, air ball. They just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM570 LA Sports, Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome to Broken Jumper, an NBA podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports and Fox Sports. And this is my weekly podcast about all things basketball. So close to NBA training camp. Clippers media day, I believe, next Tuesday. Getting to see whose off-seasons worked out, whose off-seasons didn't. Here's two guys whose off-seasons are going uh, terribly. One more terribly than the other. Gerson Rosas of the Minnesota Timberwolves, fired. Slightly over two years into the job. Also, David Griffin, New Orleans Pelicans. He's not fired. He's still there. He might still be there. But he has managed to fire two coaches. And he was also hired in 2019. So, on a torrid pace of laying people off and trying to avoid suffering the same fate. Where to begin? David Griffin is as good a place as any. Big article this week. Very interesting read from Christian Clark at NOLA.com. Now, it's behind a paywall, but you can find the excerpts out there. This relationship between Zion Williamson and David Griffin has become fractured. Zion Williamson is a year out from being able to be offered a max extension. You can look at David Griffin's tenure, and at least on paper, it's not definitively good or bad, but the thing that will swing it greatly into that category of you're going to get fired is if he bungles this situation with Zion Williamson. So David Griffin 
enters the franchise of the Pelicans in April of 2019, in the middle of this Anthony Davis situation that's a disaster. He wants out. They've stopped playing him beyond limited minutes. And, you know, he's wearing T-shirts to games to say that's all, folks. And he's rep by clutch. He only wants to go to L.A. In most situations, at least in modern NBA history, when a superstar has said that I want to be traded and I only want to go to a certain place, a la James Harden, that does not work out for the team that's trading said superstar. But in this scenario, they had the Lakers over a barrel. LeBron puts a lot of pressure on franchises, and LeBron coming off a missed playoff season where the team failed to be able to even carry their weight while he was out with his injury, there was even more pressure. The idea that LeBron left the Cavs, who were in the finals, went to L.A., and then they missed the playoffs in that first season, while it's somewhat understandable, it was definitely a big disappointment. So there was no shortage of rumors that LeBron wanted the young guys moved and he wanted guys in who could win now. So the Lakers paid a hefty sum in order to bring in Anthony Davis. Josh Hart, they traded Lonzo Ball, they traded Brandon Ingram, and they traded, they had some lottery luck. They ended up with the fourth overall pick, which was DeAndre Hunter. They traded that also to the Pelicans. Now, the Pelicans rerouted that pick, but in the end, for Anthony Davis, they came away with a very solid young core of players, and Ingram being the best one, who's now on a max extension from his rookie deal and who had an all-star appearance there. Josh Hart, who's on a very team-favorable deal. Lonzo Ball, who they've since shipped out. They've brought in Devontae Graham. And DeAndre Hunter, they flipped to turn into Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes. So two young pieces who could conceivably play a part in their future. Coming in, what Griffin was able to recoup, it earned a lot of praise from people league-wide because they have J.J. Redick, who they signed to a two-year deal. They have Drew Holiday, who was already in place. And they have all that young talent. And best of all, David Griffin gets to select Zion Williamson because they won the lottery that summer. They got the first overall pick. Things were looking up. Well, we're two years later, and David Griffin has now fired two coaches, and he's struggling to appease his franchise superstar, Zion Williamson, who is just one year away from being eligible for a max extension. By all accounts and everything that you're seeing in the media, Zion Williamson is not that pleased with how the franchise has progressed during his tenure with the team. Now, that's not all on Griffin. Some of that is on the players themselves. But Zion was awesome this last season. 60% from the floor, scored 27 points a game, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. In that, in only his second year, his first year, completely marred by injuries arguably mismanaged by the Pelicans. He came into the league banged up. He was supposed to be out initially six to eight weeks, and then they'd bring him back. He'd get up to full speed, and maybe he wins the rookie of the year. Instead, he's out nearly 12 weeks, nearly three months, in fact. And when he comes back, they keep him on minutes restrictions. They play him in bursts. It's another one of those things like load management where they just created a term for what was confounding practice of saying, well, we're not going to play you. But anyway, Zion Williamson doesn't love that. They end up pulling him out at times in fourth quarters when games are close because he hits his minute limit. And without Zion and with such a young team, the Pelicans don't do that well. They go into the bubble 
needing to play their way into the playoffs, and they go two and six in those games that led up to it. They don't make the playoffs. Alvin Gentry fired. Now, Gentry was not hired by Griffin, so it's not really that big of a surprise that he got rid of him after a failed season. It's more the second coach's tenure that is the troubling one because it's a coach who only lasted one season who was handpicked by David Griffin to come in and lead the team. But at the time of Gentry's firing, David Griffin said this. We, we didn't talk to the players about this decision at all previously. Um, we didn't get their input before making this specific decision. And I don't really intend to get their, their input specifically about a coach before we make that decision. What, what we've tried to do throughout is build deeply rooted relationships with our players. We, we think we understand what they're about and, and how they look at the game. And because of that, we're confident that they trust us in that space as well. Set against the backdrop of what we've seen in that article about him playing piano for Zion Williamson, asking him to meet and trying to show him that, hey, I'm a human too, and we can just relate as human beings, and it's not all a business, sir. I don't know what tactic I would take with Zion Williamson. I would probably just do what every team does with franchise superstars, which is capitulate to all of their demands, because that's just how the NBA is now. Because if you don't, you end up with Ben Simmons. But that's for later in the podcast. So going into year two, Griffin hires Stan Van Gundy, a coach I've never liked. People across the league portray him as a tough coach, a disciplinarian, very rigid, a guy who tends to work his players more than a lot of other people, and a guy who has very specific feelings. There were personnel moves made by Griffin around it that were also very suspect. Drew Holiday wanted out, and he asked to be traded. What New Orleans brought back in that trade They've since moved both the core pieces of that deal. They traded Drew Holiday to get a haul of picks from the Bucks, And what they ended up getting back in the way of players, because that's important here. Zion Williamson is on your team now. You are in a four to five year window right now. That's when you need to earn his trust to keep him happy to stay there. Because if we've seen anything now, it's that contracts don't mean anything. Ben Simmons is one year into an extension and he's already forcing his way out. So just because you have a guy's rookie rights, that's meaning less and less as the years go by. While we've never seen a guy at the stature of Zion Williamson say, I'm going to play on a qualifying offer and then walk away, there are a lot of rumblings that that may end up happening. So anyway, Griffin trades Holiday. They bring back George Hill, who gets flipped along with a first-round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Steven Adams, who he then proceeds to extend for two additional years at $34 million, $17 million a season. In the modern NBA, people have their concerns. Just like people have their concerns with the much more expensive Gobert come playoff time, there's a lot of people who think for as good as Steven Adams is, when you have a team that has a bunch of guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram who tend to play within the three-point line, that maybe clogging up the middle was a bad idea. Of course, that bared out. It proved to be a terrible idea. The Pelicans went 31-41 and 41 last year. They've since traded Stephen Adams and Bledsoe along with their 10th pick in this past draft to move back in the draft, and they got Jonas Valanciunas, who is a better center. But they had to pay to get off a deal that they didn't need to extend in the first place. 
Another problem that arose for Griff was how he handled the J.J. Redick situation. Redick was on a two-year deal. Coming into this final year where he was banged up, he didn't want to stay with the Pelicans because they had, well, gutted the team to some extent when sending out Drew Holiday, who was the guy that got him to sign with New Orleans. This is actually Redick speaking on that on the Old Man in the Three podcast. Uh, back in November, I made a, a trade re- request, and it wasn't my agent making the request. It was me. I had multiple very transparent conversations with Trajan Langdon and David Griffin. I talked to Griff. I talked to Trajan. Uh, Griff basically says to me, come down for a month. Uh, if you still want to be traded, I give you my word. I'll get you to a situation that you like. Obviously, he did not honor his word. And again, that is not a slight on Dallas at all. Basically, from February on, once I was not traded at the deadline on February 2nd, my understanding all along was that I was going to get a buyout. And uh, if I was going to be traded, it was going to be to a team in the Northeast uh, where I was closer to home and I'd be able to see my family for the last you know, two or three months of the season. Obviously, that didn't happen. Geographically speaking, of course, Dallas is further away from New York than New Orleans. <laughs> so according to Reddick, Griffin had said that he would accommodate either his trade request or give him a buyout. And in the end, he ended up dumping him on the Mavericks. Reddick also said this later on in the same podcast. And this is kind of the damning quote that got out there in regards to David Griffin. Why should anybody trust the word of this organization that they are going to treat them with honesty and integrity if not only did it not happen in the last week, it hasn't happened for the last five months? I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office. Uh, just objectively speaking, I don't. that's not an opinion. I just don't think you're going to get that. I, I don't think what happened with me is necessarily an isolated incident either. But I do think across the league, like front offices, they act in their own best interest. Truthfully, and, and it's hard for me to admit this, but I think I was a little naive. But, you know, in terms of this front office, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something where I would expect uh, certainly the agents that, that worked on this with me to ever, to ever trust uh, that front office again. That's pretty harsh criticism from J.J. Reddick, considering he's very measured, but he basically says that they were dishonest and that they shouldn't be trusted. So that brings us up to Stan Van Gundy being fired, at which point Griffin at the end of the season said, kind of gave the indication that it wasn't going to happen. And then weeks later, he did in fact fire Stan Van Gundy. And as he presented it to the media, he did one of those kind of just word diarrhea things where it was, I didn't want to fire him. He's still a great coach, but I fired him. This decision was not wrought out of our previous results. Um, now, immediately, everybody's going to say, well, surely if you would have achieved X, Y, Z, okay, I'm not engaging in hypotheticals. Teams have phases to them, and you've heard me say this many times. We need to learn how to compete before we win and then ultimately how we contend. We reached a point where it was clear we didn't believe philosophically in the way we are going to progress from where we are today to where we want to go. That's a long way to go to say that, well, we didn't fire him because we lost. We fired him because we don't have the same philosophies that we need to learn how to win. So now we're here, entering year three of Zion. Lonzo out, Devontae Graham in, Jonas Valanciunas in. Now, I personally hope Zion stays with New Orleans. I always root for smaller markets to retain superstar level players. 
the situation with Zion and the situation with Ben Simmons, those are things that should scare people who root for smaller market teams. It's just further stratifying having the best talent congregate in a few select markets. The smaller talent, restricted free agency and rookie rights, having that seven-year window where you control a guy, that used to be the equalizer for the small markets to be able to say, oh, maybe we can do this. But short of Giannis, this is going more and more the way of, it doesn't matter what point in the contract you're in. You can demand out at any point for any reason, and even a large portion of the fan base is going to side with you. I personally don't. I think if you commit to being somewhere. But Zion, he got drafted there. He didn't choose to go there. If he goes the qualifying offer route, that is going to add a whole new wrinkle to what fans can be afraid of heading into the future. So Kevin Figures is set to join me. But one more clip from David Griffin. When listening to this now, it's hard not to hear it under a new light when you consider that Zion may very well hold the fate of David Griffin in his hands. We have a lot of winning to do here. We don't have time to waste. When you know there's a disconnect, a philosophical underlying disconnect, you hope you have ownership that supports the decisions basketball would recommend. If we're not all in with each other, this doesn't work. And we reached the point where it was clear that energetically we were not going to be that. Joining me, one half of the FNA podcast. We already spoke of his arrival. He, he makes it in week two of this Broken Jumper podcast. Kevin Figures. Hey, hey, speaking of Broken Jumpers, that's me all day. This is very appropriate, Bob. Good to be in with you, brother. Well, we remember the footage from the Bill Ryder showdown. We do, which I will not run from, Bob. It's okay. It's all right. I mean, I, I can't find there. that footage anywhere <laughs> it's anymore. Out, it's but, out there. Well, my, my jumper is equally garbage. I just I haven't played in two years, so, you know. You got that height, though, Bob. You know, you just take it down to the low post and just do hook shots all day on little munchkins like that, me. I don't know about that, Kevin. You've got, you've got the, the trunk. Uh, the girth, the, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's I'm not moving told. anyone in the post. I was talking to, uh, to Noah Eagle, the uh, voice of the Clippers. We were talking about my, uh, my basketball or lack of basketball prowess. And I was like, Noah, remember a guy named Donald Foyle back in the day? Maybe you don't. It might be before your time. They basically just ran him out there and just held, told him to foul people and beat him up for about the eight or nine minutes he was on the floor. And maybe he doesn't foul out that night. That was me. That's my style of basketball there, Bob. The Laker equivalent would be like DJ Banga. DJ Banga, that's yeah, right. That's, that's the right. Kevin Figures uh, comp yeah. for, for Laker fanatics. Or Jahidi White. But of course I remember Donald Foyle, Colgate yeah. legend. That's right, that's right. Colgate, damn straight, that's right. So, okay, so uh, before you came in, I was setting up sort of the New Orleans situation that's playing okay. out with Zion Williamson and David Griffin and just talking about how much it shifted over the course of the last two seasons. Right. Griffin coming into the team in 2019 in the middle of that Anthony Davis stuff, flipping that for that package of young guys that he got and how it's just sort of devolved since right. then to the point of when you were going into that summer, now you you can speak to it from more of a Laker fan perspective. Right. There was a lot of talk of David Griffin being the guy that LeBron would want running the Lakers organization. Because they supposedly had such a great relationship, working relationship together in Cleveland. Right. And they, of course, won a title. Yeah. Now, I think all of us can acknowledge that the reason you win titles is because of LeBron James, as evidenced by everything that's happened in Cleveland yep. in the aftermath of there. But when the Pelicans got him, Anthony Davis was in the middle of trying to force his way out and trying to force his way to Los Angeles. Yep. And so they make that deal built around the draft picks and built around, you know, Ingram, Hart, Lonzo, and the pick that turned into DeAndre Hunter, which they flipped 
for other pieces in Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So coming in, he gets that haul of guys, that haul of picks. Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Everybody's hopeful that Griffin's going to do great things because now he's got an arsenal and a bunch of young talent, and they win the lottery, so they bring in Zion. Yep. Alvin Gentry at that point is the coach. They go through that season. They lose. They fire Gentry. He wants to bring in, reportedly, either Jacques Vaughn, Monty Williams. Those guys both get snatched up by Phoenix. One stays with the Nets, and he lands Stan Van Gundy, who has since been fired. Now we arrive here. This article comes out this week that Zion Williamson is unhappy. Mm -hmm. The more important part of the article, though, was all the weird shit in it about the different stuff, the different Phil Jackson-like things that David Griffin does, like inviting Zion over and playing the piano for him and, you know, giving out books that whose message is, you know, you can do anything if you put your mind, you can will shit into existence. Yeah, that's so, a reading Rainbow moment there. Uh, for, yeah. uh, he thinks he's LeVar Burton or something. I've never loved the, I mean, people always forgive him when you win the title. Correct. Like, those right. are nice things to put in articles in the aftermath. But when things head south, those are the first things that people are going to kill. Yeah, well, it's like when you're weird and kooky, but you're winning, no one cares. It's like, oh, they're winning because you're weird and kooky. It was like, when you're losing, it's like, well, this guy's a freaking weirdo. What the hell does he know? Look at all this crazy stuff he's doing. You can take whatever narrative you want and try to spin it, you know. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, that, and I think some of the shine over the last couple of years has kind of fallen off of David Griffin that he had leaving Cleveland. And look, there was rumors about Zion Williamson months ago. Well, I guess his family members said that he was going to ask for a trade, but he never actually did, and he was likely going to be on his way out the door. It was just there's been a lot of dysfunction uh, there. Well, the yeah, last and, few years, and and that was some of the stuff I was playing in the setup. Uh, I mean, there was I re- I remember when Zion made the comments about Madison Square Garden. There was a swell of oh god, is he going to want to stay here? But that that's generally the case with any superstar level player who's playing in a smaller city. But the concerning things, back in the bubble when he got sent home and they said it was for a family issue, you come to find out that, no, he did in fact have a hamstring injury and his his handlers and his family asked the team to lie on Zion's behalf. Now, this was after that rookie season where he only played 25 games. They were holding him to limited minutes. And there was a lot of talk out there amongst the, the, you know, on the radio shows and TV shows about, well, if Zion wasn't so fat, he wouldn't get injured all the time and blah, blah, blah. They so, had to change how he runs exactly, and all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And it was weird how they deployed it because bursts became a thing that season where it's like, right. well, we're going to play him and, it, you know, it might be a tie game at the end of the fourth. As soon as he hits that minute, he's getting yanked from the game. So when they lost that season and they fired Gentry, the first season didn't go exactly as planned. Now, right. the second year, bounces back, puts up great numbers, 27, mm-hmm. 7, and 4, shoots over 60% from the floor. But again, terrible three-point shooting from yep. the team, terrible defense, and a lot of what Griffin had done in the aftermath of that big first move was to bring in guys who sort of compounded that problem. They, yeah. they, they traded a first-round pick to get Steven Adams, who just clogged up the paint more. Correct. When they already had Zion, who's not exactly a floor spacing four mm-hmm. around him, Didn't and Ingram, three point shooting isn't exactly his calling card. Yeah, that's that's the the biggest weakness uh, in his game. And then defensively on the perimeter, which you thought will be a strength for them, 
with Lonzo and with Brandon Ingram wasn't necessarily the case. And bringing in a defensive-minded head coach as Stan Van Gundy, which the rumors coming out of that were he doesn't know how to relate to today's player and he's old school in his mentality, which could be true, and I wouldn't put it past him. But if that's the case, if you're David Griffin, you have to know that you're square peg round hole in this thing when you're putting it all together in your interview process. You're asking one of the most old school coaches out there on the market to be the guy manning a team and a the disciplinarian. Yeah. To, to be manning a team where you have a generational talent potentially Correct. on your hands. Every GM has some good, some bad. But what really is intriguing about this situation is it's one of those precursors to something that could set a historical precedent in the sense that we've never seen a transcendent star play on the qualifying offer. Right. It just yeah. doesn't happen. And they maybe always, that won't. Yeah, they always sign their first rookie extension. Do you think that's a bluff? Or do you think there's actually a reasonable chance that Zion would play on a qualifying offer? I still believe that it's a bluff. Because at this point in time, as the first overall pick he's making, and it's not chump change, but relatively speaking to superstar level money, even in your second extension, what is he getting, like seven a year? Something like he's that? He's probably closer to 10. It's gone up. He's so, probably closer to nine or 10, Okay, I so on his on his first extension that he'll sign beyond this qualifying offer, he's probably going to get upwards of 17 or something like that a year, would you say? Well, the rookie max, I think the rookie max for the guys who are coming into it this year well, I mean, Brandon Ingram is a pretty good parallel. Yeah, absolutely. That was a guy who was, and he's making over $25 mil a year. He makes closer to $30 mil a year. So. so the issue that presents itself with Zion specifically, we talked about his health and his weight and the issues and all that, whether or not he can actually risk playing on a one-year qualifying offer and having something happen. So that's kind of a factor. Independently, if I were just to take this off of and just say said rookie player who's had some great stats and had some great years, and it's just an untenable situation in his current situation. Would he play on a qualifying offer? I would generally say probably in this day and age. Absolutely. I can see that happening. I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him to say, you know, what, I'm just going to stay here for one more year. And I dare you guys to trade me away if that's the case, if it comes to that. Okay. Well, speaking to that hypothetical, right? Let's say, let's say the following plays out. They go into this year. Now, I don't. On a surface level, even if we're just looking at the moves they made to set themselves up for this year, Still I don't like head. switching Lonzo for Devontae Graham. I don't know of anybody that does, by the way. I do like what they did. I, I do give them credit for three things, primarily. Okay. I like Jonas Valanciunas. Yep. Yes, I don't love the idea that you had to trade down in the draft to do it, but I will say I like Trey Murphy more than I like Zaire Williams, who yeah. is effectively who they swap spots to do. So if you look at this season as them coming in with three main changes, which is Graham in, Lonzo out, bringing in Trey Murphy as their rookie, yeah. and then adding Jonas Valanciunas over Steven Adams. Forget the trade stuff they gave up. They had to give up a first to get Graham, but let's just factor that out because Griffin may not even be here yeah. by the time the bill the comes to on that stuff. Yeah. So I like what they did on paper anyway, as far as that goes. I don't, except for the Lonzo. The Lonzo one is the one Which negative Which hurts them the most, I think, by the way, from a perimeter defense defense standpoint, and he was improving as from an outside shooting standpoint offensively, too. Yeah, he was very capable outside shooter. Shot around 37% from three. So slightly above league average from three. But when I hear their fan base try to rationalize it or justify it, or or maybe they truly believe this, the argument seems to be that, well, he couldn't create anything in the half court and, you know, we want a guy and like he's he was great in transition and he is a better defender, but we want a guy who's better at the pick and roll and can initiate offense. But to me, 
I look at those dominant ball handlers in Zion and Ingram, and you I, don't really need. that. I almost don't know that I would trade that. Right. Plus, like, he's not he's not a better three point shooter than Lonzo necessarily. He's just higher volume. Yeah, that's what it is. Like for me, okay, Lonzo was never going to be. By the way, he never was. Whether it was UCLA or even his early days with the Lakers, a half court screen and roll kind of point guard. That's not the player that he is. He is a guy get defensive stops, kick it ahead, and at that point in time, once you get to the half court, have somebody like Brandon Ingram that can create offense and have him spot up and shoot. You already know what the nature of the beast is with Lonzo Ball, but he's good at what he's good at. He's a really good perimeter defensive player. He can kick the ball ahead, and he's improving as a three-point shooter. Things better than Devontae Graham does, who, to your point, is a volume shooter, which is not what they need. And an inefficient volume shooter, who is one of the worst finishers at the rim, but in theory, that shouldn't matter because... Chances are he's not going to be going to the rim. Yeah, that's going to be Zion's territory. But I do like the the extension they got for Josh Hart. It's sure. virtually a tradable expiring at yeah. around $13 million for the next three seasons. They can trade that at any point. And Valanchunas, he'll probably have some trade value if they don't sure. want to retain him because he makes $15 million this season and he's an expiring. He's a, he's if things go player. horribly badly yeah. or if he wants an extension that is too rich for the Pelicans' blood, they should be able to recoup something for him. But yeah, anyway... Things don't go well with the Pelicans. Let's say they're on the outside looking in, or even if it becomes clear during the season that Zion is still unhappy, or if more stuff happens, knowing that you can't trade a guy who signs the qualifying offer without his consent, Mm -hmm. do you act early? And Mm. I mean, I don't think you can do that unless he actually says something. Correct. Unless he publicly says it, yeah. But would there be any scenario if you're David Griffin under which you would consider trading him if he starts to see the writing on the wall in the same way that Anthony Davis, it became apparent and he began to make comments that were leaking out publicly that like, I don't intend to be here. If you're David Griffin and you feel that coming, I feel like you almost have to. How much leverage did you lose in the Anthony Davis situation? You could have traded him a year prior before the request came. If you had any thoughts or inklings that that might be happening, which something tells me he wasn't there, David Griffin, but just the Pelicans in general, if you have an inkling that that might happen, I'm working the phones. You almost have to. You have an, an obligation to the franchise to be able to do that. Now you're going to get killed from a PR standpoint, but everybody's going to recognize why you did it. You know, And whether Zion or his camp says it, first of all, his camp has already spoken. They spoke before the end of last season. So the, the, the seeds have already been planted to a certain degree. This isn't just coming out of left field and you're trading a potential superstar player for nothing. You know, we already know where this is trending towards. If you see that it's getting actually worse, if I'm David Griffin, I don't because the worst thing that could possibly happen is he agrees to a qualifying offer, comes to camp, or before camp and says, yeah, I'm going to sign the offer, but I'm leaving after this year, so if you're going to trade me, trade me. And now you're getting maybe not pennies on the dollar, but certainly much less than you would get than the year prior. And you need his approval. Correct. Well, now you don't. But if you're David Griffin, I guess what I'm I more what I'm asking is, can you afford even knowing that you might get boned and he might actually follow through and take the qualifying offer? Is it better for your job security to be the guy who pulled the trigger on a Zion trade in the middle of his third year because you believed him? It's hard to save face either way. I guess you would save more face if you just if you just you know stone faced about it and say, look, we're not trading him. And unless he says he wants to be traded, we're not shipping him out. Because we've seen that happen multiple times over over the last few years. Um, so I guess that will be the safest way to go about it. 
So they can get a king's ransom of draft picks, but ultimately it's not going to mean anything when I, as a Pelican fan who's bought a Zion jersey, is sitting there watching him dunk and slash and do all those things for another franchise. If you're going to do it beforehand, you better get a good haul is the thing. You better find a way to get a star player. I, who that is, I don't know. It's not Ben Simmons. So that's just a lot of things working against David Griffin in this particular situation. It's not It's not an easy situation to be in. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the storyline that intrigues me the most going into this season is that all that has to happen is for Zion to say, I won't return if Griffin's the GM, for him to get fired. Oh, 100%. It's, as soon as yeah. he verbalized that. But there also has to be a fear from Griffin as far as if he lets it play out and then it goes the other way. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of the league, you have Ben Simmons in the East here playing on a newly extended deal off of his rookie deal. He's one year into that extension. Philly got bounced out of the playoffs by the Hawks. Doc made a comment in the postgame. Uh, he was asked, well, do you think you know Ben can be the point guard of a championship team? And he said, I don't know. And then Joel Embiid threw some shade, even though he didn't name him directly necessarily. But mm-hmm. like he definitely you made knew. comments. Yep. And now Ben Simmons seemingly... For whatever reason, whether he just doesn't like criticism or whether he didn't like specifically that the people who were also employed by the Sixers didn't support him publicly, he is demanding out of the situation, saying he's not going to report to training camp. Which part of me understands, by the way. I, I, I know Doc is trying to backtrack off of what he said. But Certainly. Bro, it's on, it's on video. We saw it and heard it. We know exactly what you You could have easily said, you know, Ben's our point guard. Leave it at that. Yeah. Unless something changes. I don't fault him for wanting out. Now... There's literally no scenario, seemingly, under which a guy can be under contract and still not just ultimately force his way out to go wherever he wants. Yeah, because that was always the protection against it, right? This guy's locked in for a certain amount of years, and he's going to have to— even Anthony Davis, after he requested a trade, the Pelicans decided to to basically slow play him, play him every other night or whatever it was. James Harden didn't report to camp his last year in Houston, but— eventually came in and started playing games before he eventually got traded. This, talk about setting precedents, would be a brand-new precedent. We've seen holdouts in the NFL, but usually that's over not having a contract, not a guy that's under contract for a certain amount of money and just won't report or won't play. It's getting more and more extreme. It really is. It really is. Because Harden Harden came in seemingly fat and unmotivated, right. but he did show up but to play. But he did show up, yes. And Simmons, is who got half of his salary before yeah. October 1st, right. the way his contract structured, all the reports indicate that he'll just keep taking the fines. Yeah. And at yeah. what and at some point when you're doing that, while on I do love the idea of the Sixers just being like, screw it. We're they're not gonna do that for a hundred and seventy they're not gonna do that for four more years. Of course not. Right. So at some point they're gonna have to cave. Yeah. Now, unlike Harden, he's not insisting he'll only go to certain places, supposedly. At least not that we know of. While yes. there were rumors that he wanted to be in California, I've also seen the opposite, saying that he's willing to play anywhere, just get me out of Philadelphia. Yeah, well, see, that opens up the floodgates, too, if it's anywhere, because it's, so you want to go to Oklahoma City? Then you would think Philadelphia is kind of in the in the, the driver's seat when it comes to this. Because initially I thought that he had restrictions as to where he wanted to go. I'd heard the California thing, too. That was a few months back. I've heard nothing since then. But if there truly are no restrictions, then uh, Philadelphia is your move. Well, okay, then two-part question. One, where do you think he would fit best? And two, and this could be a different answer, what of the things that you've heard out there would you find the most appealing on Philadelphia's behalf? I think well, the fit on both – I think I can answer both of those questions with one team. I don't know if they would do it or not, but I think Portland makes a lot of sense. It's like, where can I send Ben Simmons where his skills can be used, his skills as a distributor and as a defender, 
and his outside shooting is probably not as needed. All right, well, if I send him to Portland, and let's just say that McCollum is the one being shipped out, not Davian Lillard, well, you have guys on the outside who can shoot. Perimeter defense has been an issue for them. That's a big reason why Terry Stotts got fired. Uh, he can run that, be the head of the snake, or he and Lillard can switch off. And in the half court, you could put him in the low post at times, work off of him, have shooters around. I think that would be a great fit. And on the other side, uh, for Philadelphia, you lose a little bit, obviously, defensively, but you have another bona fide score that can score some points for you so everything doesn't have to fall onto the shoulders of Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. Like I said, it hurts you a little bit perimeter defensively, but if you like Thibel as much as you say you do, he can help you with your perimeter defense. I think that's kind of a, a winning formula for both teams if that trade gets pulled off. Uh, the problem is, if in Philadelphia, is C.J. McCollum enough for, in your mind, someone I just paid all this, I paid superstar money to, to bring in a guy who is at best a three on a championship contender. That might be something that they're struggling with. I'm sure they are struggling with it. And I think in free of the context we're in now, the answer would be no. Right. But the longer this plays out Correct. and the more difficult it becomes, the more they may be amenable to that. And to the point of other suitors, some of these other situations may have dried up in that this week, the Timberwolves, one of the other teams that's yeah, been rumored you. with them a lot, mm-hmm. They fired their general manager just, well, two days ago. Right. And they were, yeah, the, the reports were, Bob, like hot and heavy. They want Ben Simmons. And for whatever reason, they couldn't work out a deal or whatever. But Minnesota was the one team that I'd heard that explicitly banged on the table. We want him here. Reports were that they were shopping some combination of the following guys. D'Angelo Russell was absolutely, would have, have to be, be part of it. Yep. Makes a ton of money. Also plays point guard. Like if the... If the Sixers are shipping out a guard and they're trying to bring in somebody, it's going to be probably a scoring perimeter player. Right, uh, Malik Beasley, maybe in, maybe not. Um, Jaden McDaniels, some combination of picks. All those right. guys. But then, just in the last couple of days, their GM just got fired. Now, their GM just made that trade to bring Patrick Beverly Correct. over there. So, by all indications of what was happening on the surface... I mean, he went through a whole offseason. He traded Rubio to the Cavs, brought in Torian Prince. He he got to re-sign guys. Vanderbilt got a new contract. Um, he And then he goes and trades for Patrick Beverly and offloads Jarrett Culver and offloads uh, Hernan Gomez. And now he's fired. Apparently, he had an affair right, with, somebody with somebody in the organization. In the yeah. And that seems to be the main thing, is that there was also a divide with his assistant, GM, and he had froze him out of some things, and there was some culture issues. But that essentially resets the negotiations, it does. unless he wasn't the one handling it. Right. So that may, if anything, drag this out further with Simmons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you can't have guys holding out who just signed maximum extensions. It's a bad look for the league, and it seems like every year, and maybe it's exaggerated, but I mean, I'm thinking of back to James Harden, back to Anthony Davis. Doesn't it seem like we have one of these every single year? Yeah, yeah. And it feels like since the kind of the Paul George, that's when it really started to turn for me yeah. towards guys preemptively saying, "I'm either I'm not going to resign here, or mm-hmm. and now it's escalated to I don't want to be here while I'm under contract. Yeah, I here. just signed here and now I want to leave. Yeah, to yeah. I am on the first year of my extension and I already I want out. Like yeah. It, it makes you wonder how long it's going to be before guys on rookie deals are figuring out ways to force their way out. Right, and I don't know. The problem is I don't know if there's a way to put it, the toothpaste back in the tube from that standpoint unless you find a way to change the rules. But the problem with change, you're not going to have players not get guaranteed contracts at this point. They've had it for so long. They're not going to be able to give that up. Or you get escalators in your contract for remaining in a certain place 
or that void when you get traded that, or yeah, something like that. Cause I know you have, you have escalators for getting traded. Maybe you can have an escalator for staying or something. Maybe there, there's something, there's an incentive. They try to find incentives to keep guys in places, which is why you can sign the extra year with a, with your own franchise and all of that. Maybe there's, it's as bad as it sounds to try to convince guys who are under contract to not want to be traded somewhere else, find a way within that contract to incentivize them to want to stay. Yeah, I like the idea of some sort of incentive-based thing where if you remain with the team, you start to see whether it be larger percentage raises in the later years, but that mm-hmm. only applies if you're still with the team you signed the Correct. contract with. Correct. I look at it now, and it makes me worry about the idea that some of these small market teams are going to start offloading guys before they get to the end of their rookie deals because right. restricted free agent rights mean less and less than they ever did. Right. I mean, you even even with my own favorite team, I feel like they're bidding against themselves for Allen or Sexton because they're just so scared of what it's going to mean if those guys verbalize a desire to be out. Because yeah. everybody just caves now. It seems like it. Do you yeah. think there's any situation in which Simmons is still on the Sixers beyond the trade deadline this year? I can't, especially if he ends up not reporting and he's just sitting out and just getting fined the entire time. Because, by the way, you're taking a hit as a franchise on the court. I mean, look, his value already dropped precipitously after the draft when they were able to trade him then. It's only going to get worse and worse as we get deeper into the season as the Sixers get more and more desperate, and everybody knows that. I'll, I, I can't wait to see if they actually start with the fines because they still have to deal with Max. They're still going to have to deal with Rich Paul. Right. I mean, I expect they will if this if he's going to take such a hard-line stance, but I definitely am eager to see a resolution to the Simmons situation. Yeah, and and, and I do think it's slightly overblown. People say, well, so-and-so is his agent. You want to piss this guy off because, I mean, all these guys are individuals to a certain degree, unless you're Nerlens Noel and you just blindly follow a guy. Well, that's what worries me about Clutch. Is he, like, even, even with Simmons, when Simmons, all this stuff was happening, Maxie was canceling... PR events, mm-hmm. and it's like, if you're directing other clients to do stuff well, because of be. one, that's yeah. always been the question with Clutch, is yeah. how much do they value the lower guys on the roster right? as opposed to weaponizing some of them to help the bigger guys on the roster, you know, like yeah. like your LeBron and, and other people. And AD. Yeah, no, that, it's it's a legit question. It's a leg- uh, legit question for sure, but I mean, if you're in Philadelphia, regardless of what happens with Ben Simmons... You're going to deal with Clutch Klein. You have a couple on your roster that are not named Ben, and you're going to have to deal with them in the future too. But also you have to individualize it and say, all right, we effed up this Ben Simmons situation. He is accountable for some of that too. Um, We can't allow this to put a cloud over the entire organization's relationship with Clutch. By the way, Rich, I think, talked to the Sixers. The the big issue with me is even less on Ben and more on the Sixers and the way that Doc Rivers and these guys handled that in the media. If Doc doesn't say that after the game – I don't think we're in this situation right now. I understand where you're coming from. I just think Ben is way too sensitive. That's about oh, the most mild. I mean, you just had one of the worst outings at the end of that playoff series that you could possibly have. At some point, you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, valid criticism. I didn't think anything yeah. they said was that unfair. Yeah. Well, it, look, I mean, that's the reason he didn't compete with Team Australia was that he wanted to work on his game, which still seems weird to me because I feel like working on your game is competing against the best players in the world. You would think. But that's how I feel. I would yeah. want to get myself in front of the people who yeah. are smashing me and, and wipe yeah. their memories of that as quickly as for possible. A good team. Well, Team Australia has been good for the last decade, uh, an Olympic play, an international play. So that part didn't make a lot of sense to me that he would kind of curl up on the ball and go in the corner and and shy away from even more competition because now it seems like you're validating even more yeah. what the people have been the, saying. The people who say that you're mentally weak and all right. that, like it right. definitely doesn't help. And I, yeah. of course, I should say I'm not the biggest bad advocate, mainly because I hate 
how this is. I hate it's it's less about Ben Simmons. It's more the way these contractual situations keep getting uglier. It gets worse and, and uglier. Worse. Yeah. And and to find him at the center of this one. Yeah. It's my worst nightmare to think, okay, you extend a guy in one year into a max extension, he's already got a gun to your head. Yeah. And and you have to you have to handle these guys with kid gloves to a certain degree. And Doc Rivers, maybe it was the heat of the moment or whatever it was right after a game. It was a leading question to begin with, by the way. From the for whoever it was that asked that question, can it be a championship point guard or whatever? You know, there are so many ways that you could have answered that. Doc Rivers has been in front of the media enough times, you know, to know how to answer that. He knows Ben. He knows how sensitive Ben is. That was the beginning of the end for me. It was quite simply Doc Rivers' comment after that game. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you for uh, coming on episode two of Broken Jumper. So now I've had the uh, full FNA team. That's Uh, right. Yeah. Adam told me he came on the first episode. It was really good. It was was fun. And uh, I look forward to more. Like and subscribe at Broken Jumper or at Broken Jumper Pod. I I didn't even make my uh, handles match, Kevin. I'm starting to regret that now. I need to go and modify those. It's all right. I'm still the social media game part of it. I'm. Little lagging a little bit. I am. It's all right. Not not the best at that. You and me both. The last Instagram post I put up may have been five years ago. So well, well. And the uh, last original tweet that I crafted, probably six years ago. Yeah, so. I have noticed. Adam is uh, Adam is far more on top of that than you. Oh, without Adam is the Twitter fiend. Adam tweets everything clearly. So uh, we'll be back next week. But thank you again for uh, tuning in to another episode of Broken Jumper. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports and Fox Sports Radio. And this is the Broken Jumper Podcast. That's it. No more Broken Jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.